And hello, my name's David Summerfleck, and thank you for coming or listening or viewing another episode of Rebooting Business, where we talk about how businesses can reboot and rebuild and transform in a post-COVID-19 reality. My wonderful guest today is Emily Wise. Emily, uh, please introduce yourself. And Emily is a virtual assistant, so I'd love to get into your background and let you take it away. Thanks. Thank you for having sure. me on your show. I appreciate it. Thank you for being here. Yeah. So like you said, I am a virtual assistant, um, which means that I work remotely with business owners or their teams to help them in their business. And it's a neat model because I don't have to leave my house the way that I got into this was I was, uh, before this, I was managing three mattress stores and I was gone from my house all the time. And even when I was home, I was still working and my family got tired of it. So I quit and I stayed home with my daughter before she went to kindergarten and we needed some extra income. So I started looking at what I could do to help the family financially while still being able to be here for them. And I, discovered virtual assistant. Now, how did you get started? Because anybody who's on the internet on a fairly regular, consistent basis knows that a lot of what you see online for job postings, you either never hear back from, or they're kind of like get rich quick Ponzi schemes. How did you find and develop some uh, consistency and, and regularity or, or stability in working as a virtual assistant? So I actually started out with working with a, um, with a service. The one that I work with is called time, et cetera. So what they do is with them, it's a pretty rigorous hiring process. It took me about three weeks to get hired. I had to fill out a lot of stuff, but once you do, you work under them, they pay you and you don't have to pay anything for marketing and nothing. It's all throughout their platform. I can look for clients. Um, that's where I run my timer because they pay me by the hour. My clients pay them, they pay me. So there's never payment issues where I have a client that won't pay an invoice and there's no advertising costs. Now, is nice. it is absolutely. How did you come to decide what your range of services would be? Was it based on past experiences that you had in, ma in retail management and inventory? Or was it more of, this is what I really want to do, what really speaks to me? Or was it a combination of the two? A combination of both. Um, I have been very fortunate to have clients that don't mind teaching me new skills which has been really nice. And I've always been very honest and upfront with them about whether or not I can do what they're asking me to do and whether or not I want to. Right. And most of the time I do because I love learning. Um, but certain things, you know, I didn't know how to upload a video to YouTube at all. And now I specialize in YouTube channel management and podcast support. So by having clients that were willing to teach me how to do things so that I could take over their processes, it helped me a lot with my skills. Who would you say would be an ideal client for you and why? And then I'll go to part two of that question. Yeah. 
for me, an ideal client is probably a, a business owner, a, you know, they work by themselves, not or with a very small team, you know, maybe three or four people. And it's somebody who's already been doing the work themselves and they just want me to take over their existing process. Um, and not even if they have like their entire process already mapped out, basically just they've been doing something for a while. They want me to take it over for them and they can give me the autonomy and the freedom to manage it my way while still meeting their own expectations. Now, is that something you prefer because, well, I mean, it's more manageable. Mm -hmm. um, as a digital marketing guy myself, it, that what you described sounds more manageable in terms of, I don't want to say smaller, but it's more individualized. How would you contrast that? Whereas if you were to walk into a situation where let's say you were part of a 10 person project development team, like you had, uh, we used to do 10 people teams where you're building out a company website and you've got one person doing graphic design, one person doing the SEO, one person setting up the e-commerce, one person doing the back end database administration and the security, one person doing the social media, and at least one person has to coordinate all of those. Would you turn that down? What what do you what are the problems in doing something like that from a VA's perspective? Not a lot of people would turn that down. I'm a little weird, and, and no, I would turn it down. Um, a lot of VAs, you know, especially when we're just starting out, will pretty much take anything that comes to you with experience. You start to weed out those things, and the problem I see with that is that there's too many parts that don't need to be there. There's too many people engaged in that. And right. it's just too much communication to get lost. I've worked with teams like that before and it was a horrible experience. And you know why I'm asking you, don't you? Cause I've actually, I've actually experienced that. I've yeah. actually been a part of project development teams like that. I've actually had people call me and ask me to help straighten it out when it was like that, especially nonprofit organizations. Um, and that, on a related note, do you see differences in the way nonprofits use virtual assistants as opposed to for-profit organizations or just solopreneurs? I have only worked with one nonprofit and I didn't care for them um, because again, there were so many moving parts and they looked at me as um, almost like a word processing tool. Like they didn't have to communicate. So they yeah. didn't, they weren't even very polite when they did get back to me, which was rare. Yeah. And I eventually talked with time, et cetera, and said, listen, I'm not working with these people anymore. They, they haven't done anything that I've asked, which was minimal. And I don't know what to do with them and what their expectations are. Yeah. It's, I think having the intermediary, like you said, the company, acting as the intermediary, basically putting the hand up mm -hmm. and making them go through certain processes to onboard them. It takes away a lot of the pressure for the individual, um, you know, for the virtual assistant or from my perspective as a digital marketing guy, working within the confines of a large organization. Um, 
How would you say in in broad terms how a virtual assistant can help a typical small business scale for accelerated growth? Like, a, a, I don't want to say a pitch because that's kind of the wrong word. Yeah. But so that they, uh, the small business owner and entrepreneur out there, like a lawyer, a small, you know, a solo practice lawyer um, or a small clinic, let's say, or an accountant could utilize the services of, virtu- of a virtual assistant more efficiently, but also see it as something that they could benefit from. How would you speak to that? Well, for one, we save you a ton of money. Um Clients will typically pay between $20 and $25 an hour, depending on how many hours they purchase from the service. For my for my clients that I take outside of the service, it's a straight up package deal. This is what you get. You pay me monthly mm-hmm. or per episode. Um, by paying like that, you don't have to pay sick time. So you're not paying somebody when they're sick. You're not paying their employment taxes. You're not paying their health benefits. And if you don't need a full-time employee sitting in an office, like in a receptionist capacity, you just need somebody to data process or file payroll or tasks here and there that don't require you to be paid for eight hours a day where you're sitting on Facebook for half of it because you're bored. It's it's a lot of money saved. Yeah, and certainly I know that there are many virtual assistants, and correct me if I'm wrong, who also work in specifically solely in call call center type environments where they simply take calls and respond to emails and that's all that they do. Yep. I have uh, a couple of email management clients and one of them I just go in there and do product support a few times a day. It's and he doesn't need to hire somebody to do that 8 hours a day or six hours a day or something because it takes me maybe half an hour a day yeah and with call forwarding that you can set up on any phone you could get a burner phone you can have call forwarding through google voice or uh, what's that with a grasshopper or something you can do so many call forwarding uh, services that you could literally just sit at home and probably take 20 different lines through skype or something i would imagine yep and i did take business calls for a client um he had a Ring Central account, and so yeah. he set it up in Ring Central, and it had just forwarded to my my phone that I had, my cell phone. How do how would small business owners and solo practice individuals, service providers, I should say, how would they be able to get a good grip on budgeting? Because we all know anyone who works in digital marketing or any type of marketing industry or where you you where you work with other business owners we know that budget is the number one problem mm-hmm. with them how does the small business owner or or service provider know how to budget for hiring a virtual assistant because i think you mentioned was it 20 or 25 dollars an hour that's probably not consistent across the board in general how do they know where to find a reputable, reliable virtual assistant? And I understand the company you mentioned. Are there others? And how do they know how to budget to achieve what they want? So first of all, you need to look at what you want that virtual assistant to take over. And you also need to realize that 
it's almost addicting. Like once you start delegating stuff, you're going to want to delegate more eventually. Oh so, yeah. Cause you have less stress. Exactly. You've, you um, know. So take, I mean, you can get any time tracking software for free online. Like toggle is free T O G G L time yourself doing the task that you want your VA to do and see how long it takes you. And that will, should give you a pretty good idea of how long it's going to take your VA. Now, some things we're going to do a lot quicker than you will. Some things may take us a little bit more time, especially when we're learning. Right. So if you do it about the same time you're spending, that should give you a good baseline. And then as far as finding one, if you're looking for just like an independent, you don't want to go through a service, I would definitely say make sure they have a website and look at their, their client testimonials on there. Also ask them questions. Do you have experience with this? Do you have experience with this? The, the no, I don't have experience answer is not necessarily a bad thing. As long as they follow it up with, I would love to learn and I'm good at learning. Right. I think that's a great, great suggestion as well as uh, the tracking yourself doing the actual task. And when we talk about budget, I think it's also really important to look at the value of what is it worth delegating that potentially stressful activity, you know, to have more time for your life. You know, I don't have to check my email today. I can um, hire someone to do it. And now I can go to the shelf of books and just read through my books and and look up at the clouds or whatever and just have fun to get back a peace of mind that you may need, especially during a global pandemic or just even the traditional stressors of running a business or, or service uh, that you may provide. Um, yeah, look at those things that you're doing at 11 o'clock at night because you've been putting them off all day because they're easy but you don't necessarily want to do them, but they need to be done. Those are the things you should be delegating to your VA. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially if you're up all hours of the night and just stressing to no end. What would you say are the typical challenges that a virtual assistant faces in working with clients? And then let's flip that over to the typical challenges that the business owner or service provider will face in trying to hire a good service provider. Um, I think I know a little bit of this, but I want to hear it from you because you're going to touch on points from a direct, direct involvement. So for VA hiring clients, um, a lot of the times there, there's two main issues and they're communication and preparedness. So a lot, a lot of, prospective clients that I've talked to, and these have been through the service too. I'll go to pick up just a task because I have some more time. So maybe I don't want to take on a whole new client, but I want to do a little piece of work and get a couple more bucks, right? I'll go in there, I'll pick it up and they will be missing a crucial part of it. So I'll send them a message like, Hey, when do you want to get together to talk about this? Or can you send this over? Blah, blah, blah. Crickets, nothing. <laughs> so why would you put that out there? If you're not prepared to communicate with the person who's doing it, the other thing is, you know, oh, well, I just, I want this and yeah, you have just free reign, do whatever. And so you do whatever. 
and they come back with, yeah, we need to change this and this and this and this and this. And it's like, mm, would have been really nice if you had a general idea of what you wanted to begin with and communicated that to me. Yeah. And that preparedness, that preparedness yeah. was not there. So it would be a great benefit if they were more prepared in advance, knowing what specific objectives they want to achieve mm -hmm. and why yeah. maybe in, in defining how they want these goals met. Is that fair? That's incredibly fair because when, when VAs know your expectations, then we can meet them. But if we don't know them, it's really hard to make you happy. Yeah. And I would add as a digital marketing specialist that that's been a, a when I worked for different marketing agencies and ad agencies, I had that overarching structure of the organization. But working independently as an independent contractor outside of that agency, now you have to screen them like we were saying before. And I learned very quickly that I needed to have a very thought out, deliberate onboarding process um, or, or, or else communication would break down because they, the client, did doesn't know how I work. So they don't know what information I need. If I don't know what to ask them at certain steps along the onboarding process, then again, the project could break down. So I had to learn how to do that. And even now I stick to it religiously because if I don't, things will fall apart. And one of the things that I always do is say, we have to agree to have at least two to three brief video consultations before we can begin anything even begin corresponding because the idea being that if we can't do what we're doing right now with the little bugs and glitches that come with using video chat with microphones not working webcams not working and crazy backgrounds and people running their vacuum cleaners or what have you while you're working as i've had happen we have to be able to work through those little glitches that come with tools and technology in order to work in an efficient manner. And you have to take the client through that. So, um, and my, my children will pop up every once in a while when I'm in a client meeting. And right. And, say hi to my and the cl and my clients are really good about it. Um, right. The client, yeah, the client has to be able to handle that that you know by the same token look if you're working in a corporate environment there are days that you're going to go to work where uh you may not look perfect you know your hair might be off or you might have a, a hole in your clothing or something you know if you're a man you go to work and your face is bleeding you cut yourself shaving but you still have to go to work you know many times i would drive to work with my my head bleeding you know, because I had some gash. I remember I called uh, a, a team manager once and I said, boss, I said, I hate to tell you this, but my head's bleeding pretty bad. I can't get it to stop. He's like, well, just come in anyway. Don't worry yeah. about it. It'll it'll take you an hour to get here in the freezing cold in Denver. Roll the window down. It'll stop on the way here. Yeah. No, but I, you know what I did? I actually, I just, I took a little tiny microscopic little pinprick of super glue. It just went like that. That'll do it. That's what derma bond is. It, yeah, it didn't look beautiful, but I'm like, we're adults. And that's the thing. You have to be able to say, 
we're adults here. It's more important that we focus in on achieving a specific objective that has value here. And let's get serious and stop looking at tools and bright, shiny object syndrome. Um, you know, um, I didn't expect us to really go through so many points so quickly. What do you feel is the a really big takeaway point for business owners and using virtual assistants? And then I'll just ask you one or two more questions. Um, so virtual assistants are generally people who work very well on their own. You know, we're not necessarily antisocial, but we're good at self-starting. Um, you know, I was talking to my husband, mm -hmm. the COVID-19 stuff started happening and people found themselves working from home and there would be Facebook posts of, do I really have to put on pants today? Or what time am I supposed to start work when I'm working from home? For people like me, it's like, I start work when I need to get my stuff done. Like I have a meeting at nine. Okay. I'll probably start work at eight so I can go prepare for that meeting. Right. When do you wake up? We don't have to constantly come in and ask because we hold ourselves accountable for the work that we need to do. Unlike a lot of, and not, not a lot of, but a few employees will come in, mosey around, get their coffee, get to their desk 10 minutes late, then turn their computer on, then maybe turn the phone on, then maybe play on Facebook for a while. Then they might go file some stuff and you're paying them for all that. And Very with true. us, we're going to get started because like, I homeschool my seven-year-old. My high schooler is doing distance learning from home right now too. So I have to stay on top of him so that his things get done. Mm -hmm. And I still have to be the housewife. I've been re repainting my kitchen lately. So, you know, and then I still have to have dinner on the table at six and feed kids throughout the day and take care of dogs and whatever else needs to be done. So I'm going to sit down, I'm going to do my work in a timely manner so I can get to the rest of my life too where if I were working an eight to five and I was required to sit at a desk from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., there would be long stretches of time where I wouldn't technically be working. Um, so we're very productive. We're generally self-starting, which means that when you give us a task, even if we have to go research something about it, we're more likely to do that than just ask you, how do I do this? Because that drives me nuts. Yeah. When I would ask an employee to do something and they would have to ask me every single step when for me, a lot of it was, okay, well, use your common sense. Like, yeah. And, and it's not, it's, it's not effective time management. And honestly, you could have already gotten it done in the time that it takes you to train someone else to do it. Um, it's, it's, it's just the traditional model of employment has been broken and, and very ineffective for decades now. I mean, you know, I can't tell you how many marketing agencies I worked at where it'd take you an hour, maybe longer in some cases, because in Denver, you'd have the snowstorms. So what should be a half hour commute could take you triple that amount of time because you can't drive faster than five miles an hour without sliding into it. You'd slide right into a tree. Um, yeah, I've driven home from work in blizzards when, I, when we lived in Denver. Um, but, yeah, how many marketing agencies have I worked at where people would take two-hour lunch breaks? Yeah. Or just go and walk around outside. Well, what happened to so-and-so who's supposed to be, you know, working on, on this graphic design project? Well, we don't know. 
he came in this morning. He's he's buggered off somewhere. We don't know where he is now. It would happen on a daily basis. There was one guy caught him in the break room watching Discovery Channel in the break room. You know, and I'm like, yeah, and these open houses, I don't know if you've ever been to an open house that these marketing agencies have where they're they're drinking beer, they're eating pizza, they're throwing darts and everything. And that's all well and good, but I don't know anybody who would not have been happier if you said, hey, guys, work from home. Well, yeah. And I'll send you an extra 50 bucks a week. It's a lot well, cheaper. But our, our burnout rate is a little lower because I'll tell you what, I'm not – not having a commute is awesome. Being able to take my lunch break and go on a bike ride with my daughter is yeah. wonderful. And now that my husband's working from home, he's in the office next to me. He he comes out and he has lunch with us. Or we go on a bike ride at lunch, or he goes and takes stuff to the dump at lunch, or you know, and we're not spending money on a commute to gas for gas prices. Neither one of us drive fuel efficient vehicles. So we're also not tired from driving to and from work every day. And we're not exhausted from being around all these people. Yeah. Um, and then not even to speak of the office drama that yeah. office uh, that, that often comes from that. I've, I mean, I could tell stories about office drama, and, you know, and office, you know, office politics and the so-and-so is giving all the assignments or whatever to this person and not that person or so-and-so doesn't get back to you when you need them to and, or, or whatever. One person will come, doesn't do their job. So now you have to do the work of three other people. So you have more, it's easier to track what's being done also, I think. It is. And you know, you're, it's almost a little bit more of an intimate work relationship too where you're working with this person, you're having a meeting with them every week and you get to know them a little bit. Um, one of my clients I was talking to today, we had our regular weekly meeting and I was telling him how I made dandelion jelly a couple weeks ago. Hmm. And he's like, oh, send me some. I was like, yeah, sure. So um, it's, like, it's amazing, it's really good. Well, you definitely have me curious about that. Um, maybe I can uh, talk to you after the podcast and get you to sell some of that online. I don't think I've seen that. Maybe I might just have to send you a jar. It tastes like honey and lemon. Um, we no, okay, that's in our yard, so I knew the dandelions were safe to gather. So I, oh, I'm a I'm a sweet addict. So I I, I definitely want to talk to you about it afterwards. Um, one final serious question: Given what's going on in the world right now. What do you think the future of business is going to look like? Do you really think that more businesses will outsource important work to virtual assistants and adopt more remote work? Or do you think this is a temporary, uh, I don't want to say fad, but a temporary fad because people are now still in shock of COVID-19? Or do you think this is something that's going to cause permanent ripples through how businesses work. So everybody's talking about the new normal and what's happening, you know, after COVID, what's going to be normal. Um, for me, I really, really hope that businesses wake up and realize that working remotely is beneficial for everybody involved. So I've seen, so my husband works for the University of Iowa 
for the hospital and he's a scheduler. Why on earth would he have to drive 40 minutes to go sit in a building full of cubicles to answer phones all day? He's doing the same thing right now at home. They just sent his equipment home with him. Yeah. They're talking about them going back to the office and it's like, why? You have these people that are in their own homes. They're less stressed. They're calling out sick less. They're more productive because they're comfortable in their environment. And you're not having to rent out a space. They're less of, a, of an insurance liability to you too, because you don't have to worry about them contracting coronavirus now. Exactly. And people who work from home, I mean, I had coronavirus and I worked a, a little bit, not a lot because I felt like crap, but you know, when I could, I still did things. I let my clients know I'm going to be prioritizing this week. I have a limited amount of energy. The really important things will get done. The things that can wait, will wait till next week. And every single one of them was fine with that. If I were working at a physical office somewhere outside of my home, I would have had to stay home and you still would have had to pay me, but I would have had to stay home. So I didn't get everybody else sick. Yeah. And you might've been exposed to it multiple times too because there are there have been reports of people contracting coronavirus on more than one occasion where they yeah. they get it they recover and then a month or two later they come down with it a second time i've read about this occurring in china i'm not sure if they've had cases of this in the u.s yet i think there have been a few um i call it COVID 38 because it's 19 times <laughs> That's a good one, though. Oh. We have kind of a dark sense of humor at our house. Well, no, I'm well. I'm glad that you said that. I think it's always important to have a little bit of levity in light of what's yeah. going on. Well, Emily, uh, I always appreciate your time. I always enjoy talking with you. Um, you're just a very relaxed person. How can people learn more about you and get in touch with you? And if they want to hire you, should they do that through your, your, your personal website or something else? I'll, I'll let you take it away. Uh, you have a choice. So with the service, if we're not a good fit, um, you can find a new VA very, very quickly because they'll match you up with another one. And so that's kind of the benefits of going through time, et cetera. And it is a uh, time ETC, like et cetera. But if you want to hire me directly, that's fine too. And that would be at wiserva.com. Especially if you're doing a podcast or a YouTube channel, my rates are right there on my website. Um, and please don't let the title of my podcast, Bad Clients Podcast, turn you off. It's not about my own clients. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's actually a good learning tool if you want to learn how to work remotely with people. And how not to, to be a bad client. Yeah, how not to be a bad client. You, you can learn from the mistakes that my guests and I have made. Yes, um, what and, I, and I had a lot of fun being a guest on that podcast, just venting. But I it's, the, and, and you know, the number one issue was always down to communication. Open, clear communication and making that a part of your workflow and onboarding. Well, Emily, as usual, I had a blast talking to you. Um, I'm David Summerfleck, your host, and uh, for digital marketing information, digital marketing services, or to learn more about digital marketing in general, you can visit me online at dms.blue. 
And uh, if you enjoyed this podcast in video or audio format, please give it a thumbs up and consider subscribing as we continue to have more and more episodes and build more as well. And check the notes down below and you can also submit a question for a future episode. So Emily, please stick around for a couple more minutes and thank you again for your time.